Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that could lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. Well, this morning, we'll discuss two stories that have dominated our headlines for months. First, friend of the show, Robert Sinclair from AAA will join us to discuss what they are doing to support frontline personnel in Long Island hospitals treating the COVID-19 pandemic. And also, as we slowly come back, what you need to do to check your automobile to make sure it will continue to work properly. Later, we'll take you back to an important conversation my colleague Chris Carlin had with sociologist Harry Edwards on where we go as a nation following protest and discussion stemming from the murder of George Floyd by four Minnesota policemen. As we always suggest, be prepared to take down some valuable information you will hear on the show this morning, and we thank you for being a part of your Sunday. We'll begin this edition of New York Sports and Beyond after this time out on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. I often refer to him as friend of the show, and I also call him Mr. AAA. He is Robert Sinclair, and when he always joins us, he's got great information for you. Today is no different. We'll talk about cars, but we'll also talk about what AAA is doing to support the hospitals and nurses and doctors who have been involved in treating the COVID-19 pandemic. Join me in saying good morning to Robert Sinclair. I call him Mr. AAA. Hi, Robert. How are you this morning? <laughs> I'm well, Larry. How are you doing? And thank you for that that compliment to uh, be called Mr. AAA is indeed a compliment. It lets me know that I'm I'm doing what I need to be doing. And you've been doing time. it. And you've been doing it for a long time. And consistency is what makes it important, my friend. Well, yeah. It's uh, April. It was 20 years I've been at this, and I've I've seen a lot in those 20 years, and. You know, it's very interesting what's, what's going on these days, what has come and gone, and uh, glad to be still doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Robert, let's talk a little bit about what AAA is doing this Wednesday, June 10th, uh, supporting uh, the fr- the frontliners, the folks, the nurses, the doctors who have been just so diligent, who have made so many sacrifices, not only for themselves, but sacrifices from their families, uh, working long hours to try to help us stem the tide with this COVID-19 pandemic. That's right. And, you know, our headquarters for uh, Downstate for New York is out on Long Island in Garden City. And we wanted to recognize those who are in our backyard for the work that they are doing. There have been more than 80,000 COVID virus cases on Long Island. And the hospital workers, we've seen all the stories about how hard that they're working and all the hours that they're putting in and the sacrifices that they're making. And, and to be honest, the, the chances that they are taking uh, in helping people that they have to have the proper PPEs and all these different things because they themselves could easily come down with the virus if they aren't properly protected. And this is just something that they do as a matter of course, you know, that as it's not just a job, it's, you know, it's, it's a dedication to humanity. And we wanted to recognize them for the work that we're doing, for the work that they are doing. So we are uh, putting together uh, boxes of uh, wholesome snacks to be able to dis- distribute at nurses' stations at uh, nine different hospitals on Long Island, and we're putting together 150 boxes for each of the nurses' stations at the different units within each hospital. There's the ICU, there's the neonatal, there's the maternity, there's oncology. All these different uh, units have dedicated nurses for that particular specialty, and we're recognizing each of those units and donating these boxes of uh, hopefully the things that they will be able to enjoy, you know, fresh fruit and uh, 
trail mix and other things. We got a very generous donation from BJ's out in Long Island to help us along with it. That wow, that's great. Uh, got a little bigger little green tea bags in there. Things that yeah. you know that that Robert, because they're on the go, they don't have time to sit down and have a you know a real type sit down lunch and cross their legs and sit down and chat about the day's events. They're going, they're making movement. So something to grab and go, which is is really right in their wheelhouse. Right, and unless they brought it with them, they probably only have what might be limited to those things in the break room or something sitting in a machine for who knows how long. Uh, if they do have a cafeteria, you know, it might be one that's not in operation 24 hours a day. So for those who are doing, working that overnight, that makes it very, very tough. So we want to be able to have something for them. With There's going to be a, a thank you card on each of the 150 boxes. Uh, as you mentioned, green tea, veggie straws, and fresh apples, almond packs, all sorts of different things. Uh, upwards of from 40 to 50, maybe 60 items in each box. Mm-hmm. And uh, delivering them to nine hospitals we will be next Wednesday. Now, there's something else in there that I'm sure is going to be very make those uh, nurses and doctors very, very happy, and that's the memberships, right? That's right. And in fact, in each of the 150 boxes, there will be 10 free memberships. And we imagine that there'll be 10, more than 10 nurses. So it might be uh, some sort of lottery system or they'll decide among themselves how that'll work, work out. But it adds up to 1,500 memberships that we're giving out, Larry. And we recognize that on Long Island, there's a distinct lack of public transportation. Yes. There's the Long Island Railroad, which is essentially east-west. Mm-hmm. So if you're going north-south, there's the Nassau Intercounty Express, uh, the nice bus system. But it's extremely difficult to get around on Long Island with public transportation. So more than likely, they've got personal transportation. They've got a car, uh, SUV, a truck that they're using to get back and forth to work. They might be putting in long hours. Who knows if they've been able to keep up the maintenance for that vehicle because of all the hours that they're putting in. And we thought that a membership would be very, very helpful to those folks. They might be on the way to to or from work at some ungodly hour during the overnight and have some sort of vehicle problem. And we want them to be able to get help very quickly. And we're we're going to provide that um, in recognition of the hard work that they're doing. It would be unconscionable for one of those healthcare professionals to be stuck out by the side of the road when they're trying to help us out. So we're trying to help them by donating those memberships. Robert, you are so right when you talk about public transportation. And, and you mentioned Nassau. Suffolk is worse. Uh, yeah. As far as going yeah. north-south, uh, it, 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 it's a chore because of the lack of consistency of the of the public transportation. You can't really yeah. – they run maybe once an hour or something, maybe. And you just see people yeah. standing. And if you don't have a schedule, you got no clue as to when the bus is coming. And we know that there's been severe cutbacks in these, these exactly. uh, schedules of, of public transportation during the lockdown, which is not due to be lifted until next week. And uh, so, you know, imagine you, you're going to work. You might be working an overnight shift. You know, who knows when that starts? Maybe midnight. So 10, 11 o'clock at night, you're standing out on a, on a bus stop. You know, that's probably not happening. You know, they're probably catching a ride with somebody if they don't have their own personal transportation. And even then, you have that exposure to being out there on the road. Uh, You know, by the side of the road is an extremely dangerous place. Mm -hmm. And we know from stats that the most dangerous job for a police officer 
is pulling over a vehicle by the side of the road, being struck by another vehicle when they're by the side of the road is very dangerous. We know from being tow truck operators, you know, one tow truck operator is struck and at least once every six days in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, more than that, one is killed every six days. Uh, roughly uh, 24, 25 a year, tow truck drivers are killed servicing people by the side of the road. So the side of the road is a very dangerous place, and we would hate to think that a healthcare person is stranded by that side of the road, that very dangerous side of the road, uh, when we could be there to help them. So, you know, bearing all that in mind, that's why we're making this donation of these memberships, that somebody can come and quickly and come and rescue them. You know, AAA and our roadside service is an essential service. Uh, we've been out there through all the lockdowns, helping folks out, getting them through uh, what they might be going through. And, you know, admittedly, there's been uh, you know, neglect of vehicles as all this is happening. So, uh, you know, the possibility of them experiencing some sort of trouble has been increased, unfortunately. Very true. That's the voice of Robert Sinclair. He's manager of media relations for AAA Northeast. That's why I call him Mr. AAA. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. Robert, I got to tell you, uh, some friends asked me about you a couple of days ago. And they said, listen, Uh how's Robert Sinclair? I thought about him and you on on your conversations on your Sunday show because I saw this battery service truck uh, Uh in Queens. Thanking first uh-huh. responders and healthcare workers, and I was wondering how Robert is. So, first of all, you're hearing how Robert is; he's doing okay. And now, let's I'm talk about okay. these trucks you got out there. <laughs> well, I, I, that's great to hear that uh, they saw the truck. We have two trucks that are wrapped in messages thanking uh, healthcare workers and first responders. Um, the, the truck thanking healthcare workers is in Queens, which is the center of the pandemic for the city and probably for the whole country. Uh, with all the unfortunate people that have been uh, stricken by the disease and and succumbed to it. So uh, we have our truck based out of our garage in Maspeth, Queens. That's going all over central Queens, and it's wrapped in a very bright message uh, thanking the healthcare workers. And, in fact, that is the truck that is going to be used to deliver the uh, boxes of goodies to uh, the healthcare professionals at the hospitals on Long Island. Then we have a garage in northern Manhattan, and that um, truck, the battery truck from that garage, covers northern Manhattan and the Bronx. Now, the Bronx, we know also, has been hard hit by the virus. So with all those folks that are working hard, uh, first responders, healthcare workers, you know, maybe they're going to or from work or taking a break, and we hope that they can see that truck and see that message thanking them and that they would be, you know, built up and, and buoyed up and, and uh, hopefully uh, given some uh, some extra boost by seeing that message uh, of thanks that we have uh, put on those trucks. And uh, they're, they're brightly colored. They're blue and yellow and white, and you can't miss them. And if you've had a battery trouble, that uh, one of them has probably come out and helped you. And you're able to see that message. And we hope that uh, the first responders and healthcare workers will see that message as well and be boosted up by it and realize how much we appreciate what they're doing. No question about it. And listen, any type of, it might be one of those days, Robert, when they had a long shift and they're just worn out and you come out, you see uh, just somebody saying, thank you. You know, sometimes it gives you strength to make you say, you know, it's all worthwhile. 
Sure. And, you know, I live just a couple zip codes over from uh, where Elmer's Hospital was located, uh, the center of, of uh, unfortunately, the pandemic. And driving by there one time, you see all the, the personnel outside, and, man, they look really beat. You know, they looked really tired. This was about a month or so when I drove past there. And, you know, I kind of like, you know, blew my horn and raised my hand and just hang in there, guys, you know. Yeah. Um, every little bit counts. When, you, when you're dealing with that kind of situation, every little bit counts. And, you know, a, a message of, of hope, of thanks from somebody can go a long way to building somebody up, and we hope that's what's happening. No question about it. Robert, in the time we have remaining for our chat, I saw somewhere where people who haven't been driving their cars a lot, and we hope they haven't been driving their cars a lot. Yeah, uh, we hope not. Now, as we start to go into phases one and two, we're going into two out on Long Island, we're, you know, starting in the city uh, next right. week. Uh, what should we be looking for from our automobiles? Because we haven't really been putting the normal wear and tear on them, which I guess is a good thing in some senses, but maybe not. Yeah, well, you know, inactivity to a vehicle is like inactivity to the human body. It, it degrades. Your muscles atrophy in the body if we don't move around and use them a lot. And in vehicles, different systems can go bad, particularly the battery. Now, you could have a marginal battery and not realize it because you're driving the vehicle every day and you're recharging the battery. But after it sits for a few days or a few weeks, you go out there and you get that click, click, click or nothing because your battery went dead. And batteries usually only last three to five years. So if you're near that point in its service life, you should think about having it replaced. And if it has gone dead, you definitely need to replace it because a battery going dead is like a heart attack to a human. Yeah. It's got that much less uh, cranking capacity and uh, power storage capacity after it's gone dead. And we've been doing a lot of batteries. Those battery service trucks that you mentioned have been very, very busy because a lot of folks had marginal batteries. So uh, we're dealing with that. Uh, belts and hoses can degrade. Uh, the belts, in fact, can get, build up a lot of moisture, and that can be a problem. So you want to drive the vehicle. At least start it up, but driving it is even better. Um, you know, critters, squirrels, and mice can make nests under the hoods of vehicles. It's a very, very attractive environment for them. And you really need to open up your hood and look under the hood before you start your vehicle if you haven't driven it in a long time. Make sure no critters have made a nest in your engine compartment. Do that visual inspection of the battery to make sure you don't have that corrosion around the terminals. If you do, clean it. You're checking your fluids. You're checking the coolant. You're checking the oil. You're checking windshield washer fluid. Very important. The windshield wipers probably have a lot of junk, pollen, and, and debris from trees and dust and dirt on them. So you want to pull them away and give them a wipe, a wipe with uh, some cleaner. And you, you want to clean the exterior of the vehicle. Very important because the birds are doing their thing, and the bird poop is very acidic, and it can ruin the paint. So you want to wash the vehicle before you uh, start driving it. And you want to clean the inside of the vehicle as well. And uh, you know, if you go out and you start, if you gas up and you touch the pump, then you come back inside, you know, that virus could be on that pump. You want to sanitize your hands. You want to sanitize all the surfaces that you touch inside the vehicle. And probably most important is tires. Uh, tire pressure is extremely important. If you drive around on underinflated tires, the tire will flex excessively at the point where it meets the road. The internal components will overheat and they could possibly fail catastrophically 
known as a blowout. So we want to check your tire pressure before you hit the road. And so those are the really important items that might be good, particularly we're in the summer driving season now. Um, and so before you hit the road, maybe you want to take the vehicle in to uh, your technician, let them go over it very quickly. Driving the vehicle helps to get the fluids flowing through the transmission, which is especially important. A lot of people think just going out and starting it uh, every week or so while we've been locked down is good, but really you need to drive it, get those fluids going. But, you know, in the city of New York, alternate side has been suspended. Maybe you don't want to lose that parking space, so people haven't driven it. So it's very important that you do these things, especially before you take that long road trip, because you can drive around in, in the city at low speeds and what have you. It's no big stress sore on the vehicle. Once you hit the highway and you're driving at high speeds for a long time, that's going to really stress the systems in the vehicle. And if they're going to fail, it'll probably be in that situation so have these things checked out before you hit the road. As always, Robert, great tips. Uh, and thank you for the work that you and AAA are doing to uh, reward our first responders for the job that they've been doing during this pandemic. And my friend, you stay well, stay safe, you and your family, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Larry. And indeed, thank you to the healthcare workers and the first responders for all the hard work that they are doing. And let's get back to normal and have a, a good time. Sounds good. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Take care. Thank you, Robert, once again. Up next, we'll take you back to a great conversation my colleague Chris Carlin had with sociologist Harry Edwards on the state of racial relations in the United States of America. That's next. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. I'm taking you back to a conversation my colleague Chris Carlin had with noted sociologist Harry Edwards this week, weighing in on where we are, the discussions we need to have as a nation, how reform needs to be changed with how the police deal with American citizens, all that, a great discussion. We begin now as Chris Carlin talks to sociologist Harry Edwards. He is the foremost authority on race and sports in this country. He is the famed sociologist and civil rights activist, Dr. Harry Edwards, who joins us now on 98.7 ESPN in New York. Dr. Edwards, we really appreciate your time. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing not as well as I expected, but better than I deserve. Well, let's start there, Dr. Edwards. Just your emotions, your feelings off of what we have seen in our country over the last week plus. Well, this was something that I saw coming. I mean, these uh, kinds of developments have um, uh, uh, come about in waves uh, going back uh, to uh, the turn of the 20th century, and uh, this is no exception. The uh, big uh, factors uh, that are playing into this uh, situation is the existence of the social media uh, and the fact that uh, in instantaneous times, uh, uh, space just by hitting uh, the most uh, explosive uh, uh, four-letter word in the history of the English language, S-E-N-D, you can have millions of people tuned into a situation, and that has really uh, magnified uh, the circumstances today, along with the impact of massive unemployment, the greatest unemployment in this country since the Great Depression, and an ongoing pandemic uh, with a person uh, in the Oval Office who shows absolutely no competence or even inclination uh, to uh, uh, take responsibility or, or gain control of, of all that is going on. So we're nowhere near 
um, the end of this uh, process. This could go on right on into the hurricane season, right on into the second surge of the uh, COVID-19 virus. This is a tragic situation we're dealing with here. Well, why is it, do you think, is it strictly social media, as you mentioned? Is it COVID? Is it a combination of all of the above that after so many instances of violence in the past involving police, involving African-Americans, that this has developed into what we're seeing right now? Well, it's a perfect storm. You have all of those factors that I just mentioned, uh, the pandemic, uh, the unemployment, uh, the anxiety of people being essentially locked down for the last two and a half months, uh, and you have that whole historical background of Colin Kaepernick and athletes protesting uh, this, um, uh, these summary executions uh, under cover of the badge, 147 per year in terms of black men, women, and children being killed by police officers, most of them, over 90% unarmed, uh, and uh, nobody is even charged in most cases, much less prosecuted. This is what uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins and Michael Bennett and all of these athletes uh, uh, were, um, uh, uh, Kenny Stills, all, it's what all these athletes were protesting. And now it comes to fruition, and not only does it come to fruition uh, in, um, uh, in terms of the actual event, being caught on primetime television, uh, the lynching, the murder of a black man under cover of the badge, which is what Colin and the others were protesting, but the symbolic uh, reality, imagery of a cop taking a knee on a black man's neck until he is dead. Uh, the same impact of having put a rope around his neck and threw it over a tree limb and, and hung him, lynched him, uh, is so absolutely um, mind-boggling uh, and uh, pathetic that it had to become uh, a major uh, issue. Everything simply came uh, into an intersectionality that was so great that it literally pushed a pandemic and over 106,000 Americans dead and almost 2 million sick out of the news cycle. Um, and it, 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 it uh, was largely in consequence of this confluence of all of these factors along with the impact of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and all of those other athletes who were protesting this very uh, situation, these lynchings under cover of the badge uh, that uh, simply were not being addressed. Dr. Harry Edwards, you recognize the voice of the famed sociologist and civil rights activist. You advised Colin Kaepernick, you advised some of these other guys uh, a few years ago uh, when they were going into and deciding to make the statements that they were. What did you tell them? How did you advise them before and how have you advised them after? Well, I, I uh, generally um, uh, simply informed them about the kinds of issues and so forth that were going to come up, what the likely price was going to be. Uh, I went through this, of course, in the 1960s, uh, not just with Smith and Carlos, but with Muhammad Ali and still very good friends with Jim Brown and Bill Russell and, of course, Arthur Ashe and I used to talk all the time, so I have a lot of experience in the situation. And uh, one of the things, for example, that I did, knowing, and I communicated this to Colin, uh, was that that um, uh, there was going to uh, be a price to pay, but the impact uh, could be substantial. So after he took the knee 
uh, for the first time, uh, I went into the locker room after the game and uh, got his shoes and his jersey, had him autograph them and sent them to the National Museum of African American History and Culture for their sports hall. And I told them at the time in 2016, put these right next to Ali's chaos, uh, kiosk uh, in the um, uh, sports hall because that's where they belong. And time will prove that that's where they belong. And, of course, now here we are. So it's the same kind of uh, experiential, analytical uh, insight and vision uh, that enabled me to see that, that I tried to communicate to the athletes uh, that were involved. And, by the way, to uh, some coaches and owners and um, uh, in the league, in the NFL um, as well. I mean, Roger Goodell and I have talked often about this situation and, 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 um, and how to manage it. It um, was not always uh, advice that was followed, but uh, we did have those conversations. Dr. Edwards, uh, speaking of the NFL, people have criticized the league for their statement. Um, I know that you have uh, talked to Roger Goodell quite quite a bit about the Kaepernick situation. What is your take on all of that? Did did the league do the appropriate thing when they released the statement that they did, or was it not enough, frankly? Well, I wish that uh, before it was released, I wish Roger had called me and said, uh, Harry, you know, take a look at this. You know, I just want your input and what you see. Because I would have told him, hey, don't put this out. I mean, that was the equivalent of Dracula uh, pledging to donate blood uh, to the blood bank. I mean, it, 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 it didn't make any sense with uh, Kaepernick hanging over the league like a shroud. Uh, there was a statement that could have been made, but that was not it. And it, unfortunately, uh, you know, I know Roger's heart. I know his uh, sentiments. I know uh, where his uh, uh, basic uh, perspectives and so forth are on this situation. But he's also the commissioner who is serving at the sufferance of the owners, who it, most of whom are coming from a, a quite a different place. But I would not have put that statement out. I, I think that that was uh, received as uh, utter hypocrisy and buffoonery. And as long as Kaepernick is on the outside, looking in, uh, that is going to be um, uh, what uh, the league is going to be confronted with. Not to speak of the fact that you have three black coaches, uh, head coaches in the league, and two GMs, and this is something that is reflective also of injustice. And so uh, it was a poor statement. I wish that he hadn't put it out, but it's out there now, and it's hanging around their necks like a millstone. Dr. Harry Edwards is with us, of course. For those who are unaware, 50-plus years ago, he was the organizer of the Olympic Project for Human Rights and advised John Carlos and Tommy Smith uh, before the 68 Olympics and the famed raising of their hands, uh, their gloved hands, to signify black power uh, I'm curious as to your take. It was floated, but then kind of taken away from the league a few weeks ago. The idea of incentivizing teams even further in terms of hiring African-American coaches and executives with draft picks. Where did you come down on, with improving draft picks? That is, where did you come down on that? Well, let me let me say one thing before I get to that, and that is that the uh, demonstration in Mexico City uh, was um, in protest of injustice and inequality. Black power was simply the ideological uh, background 
against which that uh, protest was forged in much the same way that uh, Colin Kaepernick's uh, protest was forged against the background of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, now, to your point, uh, in terms of incentivizing the Rooney Rule and so forth, uh, by uh, allowing uh, draft picks, uh, providing draft picks for those teams that hire uh, black head coaches and GMs, uh, that was something that Bill Walsh and I put in the original um, uh, minority uh, coaches outreach program that we had sent to the league uh, after we had instituted it at uh, the San Francisco 49ers in 1986. Uh, Bill and I had discussed and talked about uh, the options of uh, at least putting a tooth uh, into the minority um, uh, outreach, uh, minority coaches outreach program, not teeth, but at least putting a tooth uh, into the program so that there would be some transactional incentive for owners and uh, GMs and others to look seriously at black head coaching candidates. And, of course, uh, after Bill and John McVeigh talked to the league, it became very clear that this was something that absolutely would not float and would probably kill their um, in, uh, incentive to even uh, adopt the programs that they did uh, kind of agree with. So I was interested to see uh, 34 years later if the league had made any progress in that regard and, of course, uh, their response to the notion of putting a tooth into the Rooney Rule uh, told me uh, there's been some change. Yes, there's been some change, uh, but there hasn't been progress. Progress is one of those concepts like profit. At some point, it comes down to who's keeping and controlling the books. And the NFL is keeping and controlling the books, and they said the same thing this year as they said 34 years ago. That's a deal killer. If that's what you have on the table, there's nothing for us to discuss. All right, Dr. Edwards, to play devil's advocate for a second. And frankly, uh, I was one of the people that was surprised and, and didn't necessarily think it was the right way to go. I had Herm Edwards on about it the night that that story broke. Explain to me why, because from the outside looking in, it feels like it, while there is progress that absolutely has to be made, it, it feels as if, as, as Herm said at the time, that you know maybe candidates at that point are wondering why they got hired. That's not the problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is not black folks wondering why they got hired. The problem is why they are not being hired, Rooney Rule uh, and everything else uh, involved. I mean, that's not the problem. I would love to be in a situation where you have black and Latino and uh, women wondering, wow, I wonder why I was hired. Uh, but that's not the problem. They're not being hired. That's what you call flipping the script. Uh, the reality is that uh, people, if you look at the teams every year, teams get additional draft picks for all kinds of transgressions, violations, and so forth, but insipid, patterned, institutionalized racism is not enough of a transgression for them to say, okay, if you've hired a black coach or GM uh, this year, you get an additional seventh-round draft pick. I mean, give me a break. No, it's not a problem uh, of uh, uh, minority coaches saying, geez, I wonder why I was hired. Um, it, it, it's a problem of, of black coaches saying, why are we not being hired in a league that has 73% African-American players in the locker room. And when you look at who's actually being put on the field, which means eliminating the kickers, the long snappers, the punters, uh, and so forth, uh, it looks like Ghana playing Nigeria. Uh, even when Atlanta plays New Orleans, a deep south, southern 
uh, state uh, NFL teams. So at the end of the day, uh, look, uh, let, let's let, let's let's uh, uh, you can be honest when you can't be right. The problem isn't <laughs> black coaches and GMs who are hired wondering, geez, I wonder why I was hired. How about because I'm as competent as any other candidate that was in the pool? In point of fact, I think I'm more competent, and I'm going to prove that. When we return. More in a great discussion with my colleague Chris Carlin and sociologist Harry Edwards. That's next. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. You've been enjoying a conversation that my colleague Chris Carlin shared with Harry Edwards. In this, as they continue, they speak about the role of white athletes and how they have to reach out to white people to talk about inclusion with everybody. And by the way, you understand this very clearly if you saw what happened to that 78-year-old man up in Buffalo who was shoved down by the police and was taken to the hospital. Let's continue the conversation with Chris Carlin and Harry Edwards. We have seen white athletes come forward in this particular instance and start to use their voice. What would you tell them about the importance that they have in a situation like this? always been white athletes who came forward. I mean, I go back to Billie Jean King and uh, Martina Navratilova. Uh, I, I go back to Hal Conley and, and those uh, white athletes who spoke out in 1968 um, and 1967 and, and into 1972 with the advancement of women's sports and so forth, particularly with Billie Jean King. So there have always been white athletes. Uh, Chris uh, Long, um, uh, Megan Rapinoe uh, today. Uh, the thing that I want to see is not just white athletes speaking out, but white athletes speaking out to the white community. It's good for them to, for Chris, for Chris Long to stand with his hand on Malcolm Jenkins' shoulder or whatever else. Uh, that's great. But what I want to see is white athletes speaking to the white community. The pain is in the black community. The problem is in the white community. Uh, I uh, have been discussing and talking to uh, Pete Carroll, uh, who, uh, along with uh, Greg, Greg Popovich uh, of the Spurs and uh, Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors, uh, have put together a podcast. And, and, and what it essentially is, is three white guys talking to white guys. And, and that's the kind of conversation we need. It's good for them to stand shoulder and shoulder with us. But in our communities is not where the problem is. I want to see white athletes stand up and say, white folks, we got a problem, and we're the ones who are going to have to deal with it because this pain didn't start in the African-American community. It is being exported, perpetuated, recapitulated intergenerationally by things that are going on in our community. We're better than this. We've got to do better. That's what I want to see white athletes stand up and do. Turn around and address the white community. Address the majority white fans in the stands. Yes, I stand with our black brothers and sisters, but I stand against the problems and racism that they have to deal with because of what's happening in our communities. Dr. Edwards, with all of that in mind, I've been talking a lot this week about as somebody that grew up in an upper middle class white situation and white schooling and, and, and all of that, uh, so to speak, um, 
the fact that I've never been directly affected by it and the conversations are uncomfortable and we as white people have to have these uh, uncomfortable conversations. So what do you tell uh, the white people who, who want to have these conversations are the steps that they have to take to affect change? The first thing you have to do is do your homework. You have to understand uh, that um, uh, the impact of the lies that your teachers told you, that your community has perpetuated, uh, that support, reinforce white supremacy, white privilege, uh, a white power, and began to say, okay, what are we going to do to really begin to take steps toward creating, toward forming that more perfect union that has been put on the backs of we the people by the Constitution. It doesn't say we the presidents or we the legislators or we the Congress or we the judges or courts. It says we the people in order to form that more perfect union. We have to, white folks have to do their homework. They have to understand that so much of the, what they have taken to be uh, unalterable truths, unchangeable truths, is in point of fact predicated on lies going all the way back to the time that Europeans came to these shores and went back to uh, Europe and reported, we have discovered a new land, and there were people standing on the shore watching us get off the boat. Uh, but they, when they say we had discovered it, it discounted the humanity, the reality, the very existence of those people who were standing on the shore watching them get off the boat. They have to go back and begin to dismantle and deconstruct these lies. You have to do your homework first, and then you come up with a strategy for uh, uh, making not just change, uh, but progress. And uh, this is a white responsibility because white folks don't listen to us. Black people have never been perceived in American society to be creditable witnesses to their own experiences are articulators of the American experience. So white folks don't listen to us. Uh, men don't listen to women because women are in that same situation as African Americans. So if she says, hey, I was sexually assaulted, uh, the first question is, well, what were you wearing? You know, uh, I mean, we, we have to we have to understand that there's a lot of work to be done. A lot of it is not going to be comfortable. And it doesn't mean that it can't be done with love. It can't be done uh, with uh, compassion and empathy. It can be done uh, in those fashions if we've done our homework and if we keep our eyes on the prize. It is our mandate, our responsibility as a people to form that more perfect union. And I'll say this as well. We've been through worse and come out better. We went through a bloody civil war that killed more Americans than all of the other wars that we've been involved in put together. But we came out of it better. A better uh, uh, bitter, bloody labor movement. But we came out of it better. The eight-hour day, uh, an elimination of child labor and so forth. We went through a civil rights movement that killed three times as more people more people from the turn of the 20th century uh, until 1968 than were killed in the attack on the Twin Towers uh, in uh, uh, New York on 9-11. But we came out of it better, uh, and we'll come out of this, because that's what we Americans do. But we have to 
take responsibility. And this is one that is new to white folks, not looking over into the black community and all the pain there and saying, well, here's what we'll do for you. They have to look at their community and say, this is what we're going to do for ourselves, not just in support of the black community and what's happening to them, but because of what's happening to us as a consequence of what is being exported to them and that they have to deal with. That's what that's what I'm looking for. The famed sociologist, Dr. Harry Edwards, with us. Uh, we have te- we we spoke of the NFL statement earlier. We have all of the teams now across professional sports that, for the most part, are putting out statements right now. Dr. Edwards, it, it, at times it feels like it's a copy and paste type statement. Um, is it just more about the actions of these teams? Is there true value in the statements that these teams are making? Or is it just, well, we better put out a statement at this point? Well, you know, um, there's an old words without deeds uh, yeah. are empty. I mean, the Bible tells us that. Uh, but uh, more than that, there's this old notion that, well, let's see what's in the details. Uh, the devil is in the details. Well, the devil has never been in the details. There's nothing wrong with the details of the Bill of Rights or the United States Constitution. There's nothing wrong with the details of the over 400 treaties that were signed with Aboriginal natives. There's nothing wrong with the details uh, in terms of uh, the uh, laws relative to women's rights. The devil is never in the details, never have been in the details. That's another one of those lies that our teachers and our cultures uh, talk The devil has always been in the delivery. Um, Emancipation was great, but the devil was in the delivery. Forty acres and a mule was great, but the devil was in the delivery, and none of it ever happened. So we we have to um, um, look at this uh, and understand uh, that the devil is in the delivery. I don't care what statement the NFL issues. I don't care what statement each individual franchise issues. What I'm looking at is what is being delivered. Anything else is uh, pure sophistry uh, and uh, utter um, uh, duplicity and nonsense. We can be honest when we can't be right. Two last ones. Can sports athletes help heal this situation? Absolutely. Sports has a role not only in projecting who, what, and where we are in these crises situations. Going back to Jackie Robinson, going back to the Negro Leagues, which was really a resistance movement uh, against Plessy versus Ferguson, which uh, mandated by laws uh, uh, segregation, not separate but equal. Those words don't occur anywhere in the, in the Supreme Court edict of Plessy versus Ferguson. But uh, uh, the purpose of Plessy versus Ferguson was to push black people back as close to slavery, the subjection, subsistence, subordination of slavery as possible, without calling it that. Calling it that. The one dissenting voice on the court, John Harlan, made that statement. Uh, But the uh, black community rose up in resistance to that, and that's when the Negro Leagues came to be really the face of that resistance from 1920 up until about 1956, uh, when uh, the leagues, for the most part, uh, had collapsed owing to uh, desegregation. But what uh, the Negro Leagues were, were a resistance 
uh, movement. Uh, athletes have always, and sports have always had a role in that regard, but they've had a role in healing. Look at the impact of the 1981 uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, Super Bowl team in the wake of Jonestown, the murder of a mayor and a city councilman uh, in town hall, and the HIV scourge. Uh, Bill Walsh was said he was on a plane, and somebody came back and told him they want to have a little parade for you when you get uh, back to San Francisco. And he said, oh, man, our guys are looking to get in their cars and go home. said they expected to uh, go and get in some cars and ride down Market Street. Maybe uh, two or 3,000 people were out there. They got in cars, and when they turned the corner off Powell Street and turned up Market, there were over 200,000 people there because that was what the impact was of that 1981 Super Bowl on the city whose motto was the city that knows how. And it had lost its way, and all of a sudden, here come the 49ers with a Super Bowl uh, championship, and it says to that entire community, and in point of fact, this entire region, this is who we are. This is what we can do. And San Francisco, again, uh, found its way. Uh, the same with uh, the Saints uh, in the wake of Katrina. The same with the Dallas Cowboys. As a result of the Dallas Cowboys, we don't, when you say Dallas, we don't think about the assassination of a president of the United States. We we think about the Cowboys, especially in places like San Francisco, uh, where we've had some uh, uh, tremendous uh, rivalry uh, seasons. So sports has a role. Sport is going to help us deal with this um, uh, George Floyd situation. Sport has a role in helping us deal with this pandemic. Sport has a role in helping us deal, get our feet back underneath us in terms of these divisions that we are now, uh, 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 that have now become more manifest than ever, even though they've always been here. Sport has had a role in holding this thing together. So yes, but we've got to, it has got to be honest. It has got to have integrity. It has got to have the leadership necessary to do that. We can't go on putting out inane, uh, obtuse, uh, uninformed, uh, essentially uh, duplicitous uh, statements thinking that, okay, we're making a step in the right direction. We're not. We've got to be uh, uh, understanding of what the role of sport is and what the possibilities are. Given the response that we've had from the country over the last 10 days, are you hopeful for the potential of what could come out of this? Um, no, I'm not hopeful. I'm effusively optimistic. <clears throat> As I said, we've been through worse and come out better. We've been through a civil war and we came out better. Uh, even with the impact of the social media and how it exacerbates divisions and opens us up to uh, foreign uh, uh, involvement in our uh, internal issues and divisions and so forth, we Americans have the capability of dealing with this, but we've got to be honest about it. Uh, I was looking at TV the other day, and there was this young girl, um, must have been about eight or nine years old. She's out with a broom and a shovel with a group of people who are sweeping up glass and picking up trash left in the wake of uh, looting and property destruction the night before. And the reporter asked her, um, what are you doing out here? And her response was, I want to give people hope. When I see that, not only do I have hope, um, I'm very optimistic 
we can do this. If for no other reason, then this is what Americans do. We take on these challenges and we come out better. That's what the historical record shows. And even if, to be perfectly honest with you, we don't come out of this where we want to come out, where we optimally should come out, just by making the effort to come out better, it may not save us, but it'll show, it'll leave a record that we were worth saving. And coming generations can build on that. Dr. Edwards, I, I can't begin to thank you enough for your time, your generosity, and the thoughts that you have given us uh, all to consider here in these very difficult times. Thank you so much. Thank you, and uh, keep the faith. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. Hope you enjoyed it. Some noted information there just to continue the conversation of healing because that's the only way we're going to get to where we need to go. Thank you, Chris Carlin and Harry Edwards. Also, special thanks to Robert Sinclair who joined us earlier. We'll see you tomorrow night on ESPN New York Tonight and right back here next Sunday for New York Sports and Beyond for my incredibly talented producer, the all-star superstar, Ray Santiago. I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues 24-7 on 98.7 ESPN.